right, all right, all right. Day 182. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right. So we're in this small section of Isaiah uh, that's that kind of interrupts uh, the prophecies of Isaiah. But it's it's 36 to 39 in particular are uh, is this narrative of King Hezekiah. So we remember King Hezekiah from Second uh, Kings 18 to 20, Second uh, uh, Chronicles, right? He showed up in the Bible before, but Isaiah is prophesying at the same time that Hezekiah is king in Judah. You feel me? And so we're learning about Hezekiah here and how he interacted with the prophet Isaiah, uh, Isaiah and um, um, how God intervened in the midst of his kingship so what's interesting though is uh 36 the assyrians come talking greasy right so the northern kingdom have, has already gone into exile 20 some years ago and now they come talking greasy and spicy to the southern kingdom so they like what's good we we different we on the block we get things done we at y'all neck and we about to take over and so it's interesting because in 36 they sent the letter and isaiah had to to like pray to the lord and so 37 comes and you know, Isaiah or Hezekiah, I'm getting names mixed up. Hezekiah is shook, right? He's scared. Assyria is this great uh, power, political power in the world at the time. And he's like, yo, I'm going to send my secretaries to go talk to Isaiah. I'm scared. These cats is coming. I'm going to send y'all. I'm going to send my cats to go talk to Isaiah. Why? Because the prophet Isaiah, listen, hearing what Isaiah had to say was hearing what God had to say. <laughs> I wish I had time to talk about. It. No, no, no. The prophets in scripture proclaim the word of God. So when we read Isaiah, when we read Jeremiah, when we read Ezekiel, we're not just reading them. We're reading what God has to say to us. And Hezekiah, at least here, understood this. Right. This is a mark of faith on Hezekiah's part. So now he sends his cats to um, uh, Isaiah and we learn. Listen, we learn this. The best tool to fight the enemy's lies is always and, al and ha has always been and will always be the word of God. The best tool to fight the enemy's lies is the word of God, not our own rationale, not our own intellect, not our own plans, schemes, tactics, nothing, none of that. But God's word. This is what Jesus does in the wilderness. Now. Look at what Isaiah says, verse six and seven. He says, the Lord says this, don't be afraid because of the words you have heard with which the king of Assyria's attendants have blasphemed me. Hmm. I am about to put a spirit in him and he will hear a rumor and return to his own land where I will cause him to fall by the sword. So what does God do? By the end of the chapter, he strikes down 185,000 in Assyria and they are they perish. Right. And so if we think about it, the book of Isaiah here, we see that this military victory did not come through a strong army. It did not come through an alliance with a more powerful nation. It did not come by brute force or fighting. It came solely from the hand of Yahweh's deliverance. Yahweh proved, God proved that he alone is God, that there is no one else, that in saving his people, he proves that he is who he is and that there is no other. And by the end of the chapter, he says that he did this because of the sake of his name, for his own glory and for the sake of the covenant he made with David. Listen, God makes promises. Then he keeps those promises and we are beneficiaries of those promises. You see that? He said, no, no, it's for the sake of the covenant. <laughs> but the, the beautiful thing is, is that God's people are in covenant with him. So we benefit from God keeping his promises to his people. I love it. I love it. 38 comes and then Hezekiah 
um, becomes terminally ill, right? He gets the diagnosis and Isaiah is like, it's a wrap, right? It's not looking good, right? There's no way you're going to recover. And if you are Hezekiah, you can imagine the despair that he probably feels. Why? Because the prophet's word just came true. <laughs> He's like, I don't stand a chance. So it says this, verse two, then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Look how he's praying to God. He said, please, Lord, remember how I have walked before you faithfully and wholeheartedly and have done what pleases you. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So Isaiah comes back and look what the text says. Verse five, this is what the Lord God of your ancestor David says. I heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Look, I'm going to add 15 years to your life. So interesting. What's going on here? Listen. Now, it's not wrong to say, hey, um, I'm praying for the life of someone who uh, received a diagnosis that they're not going to live much longer. I think we can obviously pray that God's miraculous power would intervene and come. But I think how the text is actually functioning in the narrative um, is Hezekiah is the king of the southern kingdom. He's the king of Judah, which means that he is a descendant of David. Remember, God made promises to David that he would have a descendant to sit on the throne forever. Now, if Hezekiah dies here in this text without any kids from this illness, there will be no king on the throne, <laughs> right? There will be no king to inherit the promises from the line of David in his line. And so this is why he's like, no, no, no. This is why he's seeking the Lord with tears here, because it's not just about him. It's about the son that's going to succeed him. Right. And so, listen, our prayers to God can be for us. But, man, when we pray to the Lord, I think Hezekiah is a great model here is that we, we should make our prayers uh, so much bigger than us. Right. It shouldn't just be God. What can you do for me? What can you do for your people? What not? What can you do for this generation? But what can you do for the thousands of generations that you've promised to bring your covenant faithfulness to Hezekiah is thinking about these future generations of godliness and God being in covenant with his people. So Hezekiah prays in such a way that God's covenant promises and purposes would be fulfilled on earth. Guess what? For his glory. Right. And the dope thing is, like I just said, we can do the same thing while at the same time. Listen. Asking God that he would intervene in our personal lives, right? The two can go hand in hand. They're not contradictory, but they're actually complementary. So in other words, our prayers for ourselves can be a means to an end, right? Where God is glorified and it sheds light on his glorious relationship, his glorious covenant he's established with his people. So in 39, finally, 39. Uh, so God answers his prayer, right? Keeps him alive. Finally, in 39, as is often true with the people of God, there's this drastic uh, uh, contrast, right? This drastic juxtaposition, right? Um, as he showed this remarkable display of faith twice, he fails here miserably, right? So Hezekiah lets these envoys or messengers from Babylon, right, come into the palace, right? And he lets the flattery that they had extended to him allow him to let them into his palace and show them all of his wealth. Once again, we see that the lack of discernment and foolishness here in this text with Hezekiah, he invites pagans into where the king lays his head. Folks who who don't serve Yahweh and shows them all of the riches he owns as if they won't try to make his riches their riches. Right. And what's the issue? You may say you, you, you say, well, what's the problem with this? Listen, what Hezekiah does is he tries to impress a potential political ally right and i'm using 
the word political in a very ancient sense. I'm talking about the relations of the nations <laughs> in the ancient world. And this is a, such a word for us, though. Listen, we self-inflict a spiritual cancer upon ourselves when trying to be impressive takes precedence in showing how impressive Yahweh is. Right. We 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 inflict a spiritual cancer when we try to be impressive ourselves instead of showing how impressive Jesus is. We miss out on so much spiritual good when we seek and try to be impressive. Listen, leave that to God. <laughs> He's so much better at it than us. Right. He's so much better at it than us. And like Hezekiah is beasting. He going hard Feel me? to be impressive so they can be political allies. And it doesn't make Hezekiah look foolish. No, no, no. It shows that he is foolish, <laughs> right? Like this, this doesn't just make us look foolish. It shows that we are actually foolish. And Isaiah prophesies judgment. Now the prophetic word has come to pass twice already in this text, right? So he prophesies judgment, exile to Babylon, all because of this. And you know what <clears throat> Hezekiah's response? Selfish. He says, at least it won't take place in my lifetime. And it's like, it's like, what, bro? Like, you wildin', bro. Like, how selfish, right? This guy who had concern and regard for the generations previously doesn't have concern and regard for the generations here. And this chapter is a hinge point for the book and really seg segues well into the next section as we hear about the Babylonian exile and God's answer to that dilemma. We will see God comes and promises to solve the problem that Hezekiah makes, right? And so you see here that I think the point of the narrative is like, no, no, he's trying to show how we actually got to exile and what would have happened if he had just been faithful in the midst of these moments. How Israel, if Israel would have been faithful, Judah would have been faithful. Now, 40 comes. This segues beautifully into 40 because, again, Hezekiah made a mess and God comes and promises to clean it up. That's the God we serve. We make messes of ourselves and of our lives and God does the cleaning up. He is the best, best fixer upper. 40 comes. Beautiful chapter. Segways. Chapter 40, listen, begins one of the biggest, probably the biggest turning point in the entire book, right? If the previous section addressed the situation before uh, Israel and ultimately Judah went into exile, 42:55, chapter 40 to chapter 55, will discuss the situation and what God would want his people to hear, know, believe, and hope in in exile, right? As they're in Babylon, right? And then the final chapters, 55 to 66, we'll get there, right? It's post-exile. Right. So in chapters 39 in the first 39 chapters, they're primarily about judgment. Judgment dominates these chapters. Right. 40 to 66, the second half of the book, primarily about hope, primarily about comfort. Remember, the prophets prophesy judgment, but they also prophesy restoration. And the thing that's interesting here, I love these. This section has been making me sing as I've been reading and preparing. Listen. The thing that he's going to do here in 40 to 55, he's going to speak of the restoration from exile, the, the, the hope that is coming in terms of a new exodus. It's going to be a new exodus. It's a new exodus-like imagery. Listen, the New Testament, 40 to 66 of um, Isaiah, um, the New Testament pulls from this as it talks about everything Jesus does, everything that comes to fulfillment, like drown, like swim in Isaiah 40 to 66 and the New Testament will be like, will will, will just uh, illuminate so, 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 so much. All right. So look how he begins. Comfort, 
<laughs> this is a word of comfort. He says, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly, tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of hard service is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned and she has received from the Lord double for all her sins. I love it. These first words will give shape to the proclamation that follows. Remember, the people have broken the covenant, but God says, I'm going to restore it. He says, my people. Remember, the, the essence of the covenant, the relationship God established. He says, no, no, I will be your God and you will be my people. So you see that restoration theme already in the first. But we can't even get out the first verse good. And, and you see how God is speaking this message of hope. Remember, they're in exile when when, when they prophesied this. When they opened the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah lived a, a, a while, a long time before exile. But guess what? He, he wrote in such a way that when the time came, they could refer back to the words and see that he was actually a true prophet of God. Right. So he wrote in advance. So he he says, no, no, he is the God verses one to two who forgives his people's sins. He he is the God verses three to five who reveals his glory to them. Right. And these verses, I love it because in verse three, it may sound familiar. Right. A voice of one crying out, crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. The New Testament, the gospel writers, when they speak about the coming of Christ, um, they're going to they're going to use this very verse. Right. Based. And this is all based on the true in unbreakable words right of god verse eight and the babylonians along with every other nation uh was but a moment and what this text is going to tell us uh, they were but a moment of on the, on the timeline of history but god's word creates and moves forward and outlasts history right it moves forward history and outlasts history but he says no no the coming of god in this text is the good news god is going to show up right it is the king of the universe that is coming Right. And he, and he calls on the folks in exile to basically be evangelists. No, no, be heralds of this good news. No, no, be heralds of this hope. I know right now what it looks like. It ain't good. But I'm telling you something glorious is actually coming. And so when the, when when the, it's so crazy because the New Testament writers pulled this text and this text in its original context was talking about the coming of God. And you would expect God to show up when the when the gospel writers quote this text. And guess who shows up? Jesus, Jesus. Proves it shows that Jesus is God. He's the one to come, right? He is the one whom all the nations combined. It says, no, no, in comparison to him are simply a drop in a bucket, the text will say. A speck of dust, a grain of sand, right? He says, no, no, he is the great king over all of the earth. This is why we don't put our hope in a nation. They're just a speck of dust. They're just a drop in a bucket, right? And, and this great king over all the earth, he, he's going to come. And he has this tireless care and concern for his people. Look what he says at the end. He says, youths may become faint and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. Listen, the question on the table is how can we endure the exile? This is what the people of God. No, no, how can we endure this amount of suffering? No, no, how can we endure this affliction? No, no, how can we endure this judgment? No, no, how can we endure this discipline? And with the text is saying, no, no, we think physically as we grow older that our bodies grow weaker, which is actually true. But what the Bible is saying is that spiritual strength, spiritual strength is not found in youth, but it's found in trust. It's not found in those who are in the prime of life, but it's found in those that place faith in the God of life. The strength we need today is not found by looking inward. It's found by looking upward. Listen. All of this is predicated 
on the power of the Lord. Right. It's going to be the arm of the Lord taken from the Exodus. He'll use so much language of the arm of the Lord is going to do this. The strength of God. He is the one who marks off the seas, who knows the stars by name, and he can do anything. Listen, God can do anything. And the moment we reflect upon and digest the reality that he can do anything is the, is the, is the very same moment that we are able to trust him in everything. Let's pray. Father, we ask that we will be in awe and in firm belief of your power today. Give us this faith. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray.